This is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Hello. What's up, fellas? Hello, Sailor. Hello, Matt. Hey, hey Sailor. Ed, how are we doing? Doctor, doing great. Doctor, doctor. Any Seinfeld fans? That was from Spies Like Us. Crickets. I thought it was Seinfeld. No, remember? Didn't they do a spoof on it? They are coming out of the tent, and it was like, doctor, doctor. Doctor, I thought doctor. Seinfeld did a spoof on it in the elevator. Uh, Am I wrong? Maybe. No, nah, I, think I don't know. Right, actually, I think that Ed's right. I'm wrong. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. There's Joke too many Seinfeld. There's Forget too it. many Seinfeld isms I'm anyway out. to I'm keep out. track I'm of. I'm not saying tonight. I just don't like to <laughs> get my jokes wrong. <laughs> How right you guys doing? Gate. What's doing happening? Good. Doing good. Doing well. Yeah. Well, uh, we're back again. And uh, we are going to be sticking to the series, unlike our <laughs> hair metal series. We will get back to it eventually. The ultimate joke forever. <laughs> Sometime. So I guess this series is still in a pause of our hair metal series. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I'm really excited about tonight's topic, and I am very excited about tonight's the whiskey that I'm drinking that I'm going to be talking about. Mm. Um, but before we get into that, Ed, do you want to share with the people that didn't listen to the last episode what the hell we're doing tonight? Okay, well, what we're doing, we're revisiting the subject of Metallica that uh, kicked everything off for this podcast. And um, tonight we are going to do a bit of a deeper dive into their first three albums, those being Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, and Master of Puppets. Yes. So um, we kind of touched on all of them last week. We talked about our previous attempt to tackle this subject. And the goal here is to go to dive a little bit deeper into why we had the feelings we did, see if we feel differently about it, um, and kind of explain the reasoning. And I have uh, a really cool article we're going to talk about that um, is connected to all of this. But before that, Matt, any current news? I know we did sadly lose um, someone in the music world that was actually... Very important to this band we're talking about. Very tonight. important to this band. And it's one of those weird things that I know it's happened before on the show where we are talking, we plan on talking about a subject or we begin talking about a subject and someone that's related to that subject passes away. Uh, and we end up doing tribute shows and all that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, Marsha Zazula, who is Johnny Z's wife, uh, famously of Megaforce records, who were, who were, um, instrumental in getting bands like Metallica and Anthrax mm -hmm. 
um, their first big breaks. Uh, sadly passed away. I believe she was 68 mm-hmm. years old. Um, just really, really sad. And, and it's one of those people in the industry that is so vitally important, although the name might not always be on the tip of your tongue. Um, but you know, there was a lot of heartfelt tributes that came out, James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, uh, Scott, Ann from anthrax, um, all pretty much described her as a mother figure to all of them, the, the mm-hmm. way that she took care of them and cooked the meals and all that stuff. So, uh, unfortunately again, leading off the news with a very, very sad, uh, passing. That's definitely a bummer. And, you know, these days, six, I find 68 to be way too young. So that's, yeah. you know, really unexpected. She was a hell of a lady. I was just like you. I was reading stories from, you know, a lot of the bands that had been on Megaforce when they were just starting out. And just she did. She sounded like just a phenomenal person. Just and I saw. I saw a lot of, you know, when they when they were a lot of them were talking about her cooking for them. I mean, I was, did that when I had my small label and touring company in Belgium, you know, and you do feel like a mom and you have to tell them to change their socks and change their underwear. And <laughs> so I could relate to, to a lot of the stories. <laughs> Lars, change your underwear. <laughs> I don't know if it was him or not, but I had a few where I was like, okay, if, if everybody doesn't change their socks and put on clean socks, I'm going to find out who's wearing the stinky socks. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, you go put on deodorant. This one, you don't go home with girls tonight because we can't find you the next day. <laughs> Did you eat all of your food? <laughs> yeah. So oh, what geez. else is in the news? So um, there are a couple of birthdays. But before I get to that, I wanted to bring up something interesting that I read. Uh, we all know who Trent Reznor is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, he is uh, aside Ooh. from being in night. <laughs> well, I, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> um, aside from being, uh, you know, the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails, of course, um, he is also uh, big into doing scores and composing for movies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he recently just did a score for the movie Mank. I guess it's a biopic about. Uh, famous director from the thirties or forties. And I stumbled upon an article from MSN uh, where he sat down with them and talked about the struggles of composing a score during a pandemic. Uh, You know, I will be the first to admit that, you know, I've shit on a lot of Hollywood elite in the past. Uh, The movie industry is taking a huge hit uh, along with every other major, you know, industry that we've talked about on the show. Uh, But it's the people that we might not think of the, you know, people in the orchestra, the people, um, you know, the editors, the, you know, all the smaller little parts that make a great movie that we might not think of that are out of work. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way he describes how they had to piece this um, score together is just absolutely fascinating and uh, pretty innovative. If you think about it, where they had to pretty much just, um, you know, record one piece, mail it to the next person, have them record that, mail it to the next person. And we're talking about an orchestra here, um, not just a couple of people in a band. So I found it very fascinating. You guys can Google that. It's, um, it's I think crazy. it's on MSN.com. Yeah, it was a very interesting read um, about how they put but this score together. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, in, this goes back to, we, we had the discussion years ago about, um, 
you know, going back to live recordings or the bands all being in one room together as opposed to separate sound booths and things like that, because you need that energy, you know, you need that magic, you need that feeling that there's so much more to music than just technically getting it correct. You've got to, you know, I hate to use this word, but vibe with each other. And um, what a difficult, what an absolutely stunning challenge. But I would, I have to say somebody who, you know, who's into uh, lack of a better word, you know, electronica. I think he's, he's a great fit for something like that. I don't know if yeah. that's why he was tasked with this or, or if that was, it was probably, cho- I don't know, but I don't know if it was chosen before the pandemic, but you know, gosh, I hats off to all those musicians who just hats did off that to the editor remotely. Oh, oh that yeah. Too. Putting it all, together. Yeah. Everybody, all, yeah. Everybody. I mean, everybody. And I see Gary Oldman is starring in this. And is there seriously any other actor that is, I think he is the ultimate chameleon ever in the history of the world. Oh my God. Yeah. He is yeah, so he's up there for sure. I am. I'm obsessed with him. I, Oh my God. I used to be so Winston Churchill. Anyone? I mean, that I mean from Oswald. Yeah. every, every, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's incredible. I am really looking forward to that. And I'm really interested in hearing the soundtrack now because that's, that's pretty stunning. That's and keep really in cool. mind, it's, it, it's a, it, it's a composition that has to be to the time. So you're talking 1930s, 1940s music. So, you know, I'm sure wow. there's some swing in there and, you know, some other, um, Big band, big band. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So I I just found it absolutely fascinating the way that they piece this together. Um, Little things like that, that you take for granted when you talk about how different industries are affected. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's end on a slightly high note. So there are two big birthdays today in the rock industry. Yes. So we have Rob Zombie, who is turning 56 today. Wow. Yes, I know. I saw that and I'm like, God damn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. God. Uh, damn. Yeah. And then uh, Zach De La Roca from Rage Against the no. Machine, mm-hmm. who is 51. Don't tell me he's 56. No, oh. he's 51. Yeah. Oh, Still not great. I can't believe. Oh, God. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Time just keeps moving. That old yet. Yep. Yeah. Pandemic or not, time moves on. <laughs> yep. It's not fair. We should get an extra year. Yeah. For this past year. <laughs> I second and that. this coming year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the return policy on fucking 2021 has expired, unfortunately, but I would have yeah. returned the hell out of this shit. We need a do over. Not a great. Oh well, start. not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. We need to push the reset button on the whole fucking world. Yeah. I, yeah, well, it, was only, it was only a five day return policy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually it's 30 or something, but I guess five days. So yeah. Fine. Yeah. We didn't yeah. get very long. No. Um, unfortunately, I have to once again uh, do a toast before we talk about uh, what we're drinking and, t- and mm. get into tonight's topic. I lost another um, wonderful, beautiful human being in my life. Um, uh, the father of a very dear friend. Um, and he's just, he's one of those guys who was everybody's dad. The minute he met you, he was your dad that he was just one of these guys and he could just, he had the smile. He would talk to anybody and he was just, 
I, I can't imagine him having an enemy in the world. Um, John E. Waters, the third of Wilmington, Massachusetts. He was uh, a loving husband. Him and Dee were married forever. Um, a father to uh, Aaron and Mike, a biker, um, a big spirits lover. Um, he had a winning smile. I loved seeing that in his obituary because it was true. Um, I have some really funny memories of him. My friends Aaron and, and uh, Jay got married in New Orleans. I don't know if you guys remember when I drove down to New Orleans from Ohio by myself. <laughs> you remember that trip for the wedding? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the wedding. Yep. Um, and and uh, so it was a, just a small group, a couple of, couple of friends and Aaron's parents. And we were out the second day and... <laughs> John was having his first hurricane and you know, they're, they're, they're cheesy drinks, but you got to do it. You know, when you, when you go to New Orleans for the first sure. time, you got to do it. He just thought I can't, it's hard to explain his shock and joy at just seeing what it was like to walk around the streets with a drink in your hand and all these bars. And it's just, yeah. it was really fun. It's fun to see things through people's eyes like that because now when I go to New Orleans, I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. I don't want to go anywhere near the French Quarter and, bleh, and you know, um, it's party central. I'm not 17 anymore, but I had such a good time because I was just watching him and it was just so much fun. And, you know, it's really sad um, that he passed and I, my heart goes out to everybody and um yeah it's a fucking bummer but once again um i will raise my glass to john he was just an amazing incredible human being so if you would please when you're listening to this raise your glass and do a toast for john cheers all right okay. all right let's continue shall we Let's do it. So you want me to go? Or you guys want to go first? It's up to you. Oh, so this is the part where we talk about what we're drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to have you back, Matt. Yes. Sorry. Hey, Matt. Welcome yes. to the podcast. How's it going? I have a lot of windows open here. I'm trying to navigate through these rough seas here. Um, but yeah, and then I'm reminded that we're also on YouTube. So it's not like you can, you know, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yep. yeah, this is the part, as Sailor, as I said, that we go around and we talk about what we have in our glass. After all, it is metal rock and whiskey. Whiskey, the third word, but not the least important by far. So who wants to go first? I guess, Sailor, since you volunteered. Okay. Yeah. So I'm responsible for this segment tonight. And I decided to go with a whiskey that I think is definitely, (coughs) sorry, definitely a rock star in craft distilling. Um, And this is Distillery 291. Um, they're an award-winning small batch whiskey distillery, and they are in Colorado Springs. So they say that their distillery sits in the shadow of Pikes Peak. So their founder is, uh, his story is really interesting. First of all, his name is Michael Myers. I mean, come on. (laughs) I mean, there's so many cool Michael Myers. Um, and he's a former New York City fashion and beauty photographer. 
but he always had a passion for whiskey and the Old West. Um, he actually grew up on rural farms in Georgia and Tennessee. Um, and he was really close to in between uh, Jack Daniels and George Dickel in Tennessee. These were his family farms growing up. So, you know, whiskey's definitely in his blood. Okay. Just because he ended up being a fashion photographer in New York City doesn't mean he, he does actually come from whiskey country. Right. But he really just had this, he has this like romanticized view of the Wild West and managed to create something exactly, I think, like what was in his head. And so the three words that they use are rugged, refined, and rebellious. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. Um, so, <clears throat> He had this vision of a cowboy walking into a bar saying, give me a whiskey and the bartender slamming down the bottle. And when the bartender slammed down that bottle, it would be 291 Colorado whiskey. So this is the movie he's playing for himself in his head. So he built his original still from copper. Um, I'm going to say this wrong. Photo graver plates um, that he once used to create. Um, photographic scenes um, from Western landscapes all the way to the Chrysler building. So this is pretty bonkers. It's pretty, pretty cool process. And there's more um, about this if you Google them. And then on September 11th, 2011, 10 years after 9-11 changed his life being a New York resident and the lives of so many other, of course, he pulled his first whis whiskey off of the still. And that was it. That was his future. Hmm. So, 291 Colorado whiskey is handmade the Colorado way, they say. Um, so they distill their grain to bottle. Everything is done by hand from scratch, um, including milling their own grain. Um, they use grains from the Colorado Plains. Um, their water comes from Pikes Peak Reservoir. Um, and it's just, I mean, their wards they've racked up as a small craft distillery is pretty incredible. Um, so they're kind of the way they talk about it is that they're kind of uh, straddling the line of history and modern. And I, I love that. Um, so tonight I'm drinking the 291 small batch Colorado bourbon finished with Aspen wood staves. Um, it's a uh, no age statement, copper pot distilled, and they say they heavily char their barrels and then they use Aspen, local Aspen uh, staves, like I said, and you've got corn, rye, and malted barley, 50% um, ABV, 100 proof. So their process is, um, so they mill um, all of their grain by hand and put it into their corn cooker. And then um, <clears throat> their mash is soured in open air fermenters before it's distilled three times in their locally made pot stills. Um, their whiskeys are aged in uh, American white oat barrels and uh, those toasted Aspen staves. I can tell you, you can taste it in the whiskey, which is really interesting. And uh, it's the Aspen is actually harvested from a friend's piece of property nearby. Even cooler. Um, so they uh, they kind of talk about that. So, OK, so there's the rugged. Right. I said there's the three R's, the rugged is them milling their own grain and uh, their unique mashing process refined is using the virgin heavily charred uh, oak barrels. 
And then the rebellious is their unique proprietary process, which takes secondary stillage and adds it to the mash. So they say that's their Colorado twist on the traditional process um, that incorporates a, fra- a fraction of the last stillage into each new bass batch. And they call it, no, I can't talk tonight. And they call it the El Paso County process. So this whiskey, you, you guys know already, I have a love for craft whiskey. So when I'm drinking this, I am not expecting something that's been aged for eight years. I'm not expecting something that's been blended in with 12 years. I'm not expecting a 15-year scotch. I am expecting a young whiskey that's artfully crafted. It's a different taste. It's a different expectation. And there's plenty of room in the category of whiskey for craft whiskey. So if you're going to pick up this bottle and expect it to taste like something that's been aged for six to eight to 10 years, don't bother. Okay. Expect it to be exactly what it is. New, young, innovative, and different. And that is exactly what this is. So a couple things about the bottle. These bottles are freaking gorgeous. And they use the champagne style corks you, can you see the yeah i love that i just think it's i just think it's again it's such a unique cool detail um i love so they have a beautiful range really creative stuff that they're doing i definitely taste colorado in this i lived in colorado springs uh for a summer when i was in my youth and um i know exactly what they mean by Colorado whiskey the minute I tasted it. I didn't quite know what they meant before, but now that I've tasted it, I do. So you definitely still get that young, that young, uh, the young, what am I looking for? Like that, that new grain, that new oak taste. Some people call it like glue, but not in a bad way. We got, we've got to, we've got to come up with some better terms um, <clears throat> because there's not a lot of people that are doing whiskey reviews that give favoring, you know, favorable views for a lot of the craft, which is bullshit in my opinion, but there's very, so very much. True. Yeah. I, it's yeah. someone should just do craft whiskey and review nothing but that and fully immerse themselves in understanding what a different category it is. It's its own category. So, For me, it's, hmm, there's so much wood in it. There's so much, there's so much character in it. Um, I get a lot of tons of vanilla, which you would, it's young, um, but it's, it's really clean, super clean. I think that's one of the, the first things that came to my mind is it's clean and it's bright. There's a, there's a heaviness to it. And I don't mean in its viscosity, I mean, in its flavor, it's, you know, I can tell it's been heavily charred and there's that, those Aspen staves, but it's it's also bright. So it's kind of, you're getting two things. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's, it's still new to me. I haven't been drinking it for very long, so I'll come up with better descriptives as I go through it and become more comfortable with it. But um, it's really, really exciting. I think they're going definitely going to be doing big things. I mean, the awards they've won has been fantastic. Um, they're super committed to their process. I love that. So, you know, if you happen to see this 291 out on the shelf, I would highly recommend um, picking it up and educating yourself on the craft category. Because if you're not drinking craft, you're really missing out and you're really not doing American whiskey any favors. We need our craft distilleries desperately. And right now, they need your support more than ever because COVID has really kicked their asses so um next time you buy a bottle of something old uh 
grab a bottle of craft too. And if you don't like it now, I've said this before, doesn't matter. Hold on to the bottle and go back in a year, go back in two years. Keep going back and trying their whiskey because they're new and they're just getting started. Give them an opportunity. And next time I bring them up on the show, we're going to talk about their white whiskeys because as you know, you guys are obsessed with that category. So that is my whiskey pairing for tonight. I think, like I said, I think it's fucking rock and roll. And that's why I chose it for tonight. They're young, new rockers, just like where Metallica was in the periods we're going to be discussing tonight. All right. Boom. Sounds great. I'm going to have to check awesome. that out. Yeah. For sure. I've had a Breckenridge um, bourbon, but that's the only Colorado bourbon I think I've ever had. Does Breckenridge do their own distillation or did they when you drank it? I think so, but I can't, you know, stick my life on it. Um, I, I, believe, I believe it's their own distillate. Okay. I think they do. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty young. It's a like they're a they're a craft distillery. Um, and the yeah, like we were too, which oh, Stranahan. Oh, yeah. But that's Love a state, single malt. Yeah, I've, I actually have had I have had Stranahan's, and actually, my brother-in-law drove out to Colorado just to do a bottling. Oh uh, wow! The bottling assembly that's line Stranahan? with them. Yeah. So Is your brother? Does he live in? Illinois as well. My brother-in-law, yeah, he lives. Yeah, he does live in Illinois as well. Okay, it's not too far from you guys, though. That's not too um, crazy. I would. Do that's that, right. That's a hell of a drive. That's probably. That's got to be at least an eight-hour drive. Yeah, eight I'm hours. Not, it, that's nothing. <laughs> Get out of here. Well, for for someone who drives from you know Boston to Washington State. <laughs> <laughs> Eight I mean, hours is nothing. Yeah, eight hours. I'm still <laughs> in the same state for Christ's sakes. <laughs> I know, true. right? No, almost, exactly. almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I right. definitely. Yeah, Breckenridge. I'm um, Breckenridge. Uh, Stranahan's yeah. is phenomenal. Big fan. What about you guys? Well, something not quite as youthful. Uh, well, actually, I don't know how how old it actually is. But uh, there is no age statement on it. But the person it represents is definitely uh, not a whippersnapper. Um, <laughs> I actually killing a bottle here tonight. Uh, killing bottle a bottle kill. of uh, Elmer T. Lee, that, if you can see it on the. Uh... So, yeah, this is a bottle. This goes back to our first. I remember our first year recording. I first. Uh, uh, this is one of the first bottles I was drinking on one of our very earlier episodes and uh here it is getting rid of it and i did sacrifice the last dram to my infinity bottle there you go and um that so infinity do you yeah i have a question <clears throat> do you do your infinity bottle just anything in there or do you have it separated by categories so far i've got uh here let me look real quick <laughs> I had the I'll idea. I'll like separate the, mine. Yeah. I right. can't. So what the hell is actually it's, like? it's, it's bourbon right now. It's all bourbons. Okay, so and bourbon. I think okay. I'm going to keep it that way. Yeah. That um, would be really cool. Yeah. So, you so add a far, little rye in there maybe, but I've got Elijah Craig, Rock Hill okay. farms, which is a relative mm -hmm. of Elmer T. Lee mm -hmm. and uh, a local craft distillery, bourbon, whiskey acres, straight bourbon, mm -hmm. and then a little bit of Elmer T. Lee. And that's just the start. Um, so 
that's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. Um, I have to do categories. I can't throw just anything in them. It freaks me out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's a good idea. I should start another one of just rise. Yeah. Like bourbon, rise, scotch. And then, then you can take, and I have a craft one, of course, um, an American single malt. Then you can take, first taste it when you're done. Is it good? What if it's complete garbage? Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of play with blending it. Oh, yeah. maybe this bourbon infinity bottle needs, you know, 5% rye. <laughs> you right. can add your infinity rye in there. Yeah, I mean, start mixing the, the two infinity yeah. bottles together. <laughs> so awesome. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Yes, that's the point. Just keep mixing. You've got your own blend. Yeah. We should do that, you guys. We should make a metal rock and whiskey blend. We should. That would be Okay, cool. so I'll do the blackened since I'll do just pure blackened and then I'll do a secondary bourbon urban and then one of you guys has to do a rye and then um what else should we put with it i don't like weeded whiskey usually mm. although mm, i don't know i don't think i would want to mix american single malt with it though no i got plenty of rye though so someone do the secondary bourbon i'll do the and the rye and i'll do the um i'll do the black end all right We'll discuss Make this later. Black and base. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to a liquor store near you in seven years. <laughs> yeah. But as a backup, since this is, I'm down to just just this. You know, I've, I'll finish this. I have do have a bottle from the same distillery, bottle of Eagle Rare. And if you know my history with Eagle Rare, <laughs> the first bottle I drinking that. <laughs> This is a single barrel. It's a barrel pick that was picked by a restaurant that one of my daughters works at and called Hoppy Pig. And it is actually a fantastic pick, which is why I purchased it. I was able to sample it from a friend who had one of these bottles and it was good. So I went out and got myself one. So no toothpaste. No, no tooth, no uh, charcoal toothpaste in, uh, <laughs> This one, but funny thing though, um, I did go to a friend's house recently. He had a bottle of the standard off the shelf Eagle Rare, and I got that same note again that oh, you, you got, that's your note. That's I didn't know, for sure. yeah, yeah, that's you. Interesting, so, anyway. Yeah, good stuff though. This bottle, anyway. So, uh, yeah, I guess if once this is gone, I'm gonna have to keep out the, seeking out those uh, those barrel picks. Yeah, if that's the only one you can drink. I mean, I love Eagle Rare, but <clears throat> yeah, the whole uh, charcoal toothpaste thing was no bueno. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Uh, to bring it back around to craft distilleries, um, mm. I have been on a spending spree of buying different Balcones expressions. We've talked about them before on the show many mm -hmm. times. Oh, and yeah. I, think, I think I'm up to nine bottles is what I counted last time. Oh, Different it. expressions. Yeah. Um, so tonight I couldn't choose one. So I am the meat in a balcone sandwich here between two <laughs> bottles. Yeah, a menage a trois of craft beauty right here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll make it quick since I have two here. But the first one is balcone's mirador. 
which is a yearly release from them. It is a single malt, um, a blend of malt whiskeys, but single malt because it comes from one distillery. Um, and they use, uh, they don't use new charred oak. They use, um, uh, it's not refill oak, but I guess it's, it's, it's used American oak. So the color on it is much lighter. The profile is much lighter comparatively to a lot of the other things that they make. Um, but it's about 54.2%, I believe, um, 56.2, sorry. Uh, but it is so light. It's one of the lightest things that they've made um, as far as body goes and texture and mouthfeel. Um, big on honey. Uh, you get some orchard fruit in there as well, which is a staple of them from a lot of the things I've seen, the apricots, the peaches, but this one's a little bit more um, like Granny Smith apples. Uh, really, really just great, great stuff. Uh, it's only aged about three years. Again, we're talking youth. We're talking vibrancy. So that is number one. Number two is a little bit of a different animal. It's the um, Texas blue corn bourbon, which oh, is it's, it's 100% blue corn. Uh, pot still, obviously, 64.5% uh, ABV. When I popped this bottle and I took a whiff of it, it did not – you would not, if you poured this in a glass and smelled it, you would never think it was anywhere near 64%. Mm. Um, it has a unbelievable, just buttered popcorn sweetness to it on the nose where you would say it's probably 90 proof if you had to guess just from smelling it. Um, but you get sort of like an earthy saltiness. Uh, the corn is there big time. It is a hundred percent blue corn. Um, but you know, coming through, um, you know, the sweetness, but that earthiness stays the whole way. It, it's, it's an unbelievably unique bottle. Uh, I believe they were the first ones to use blue corn. I know that there are a couple other distillers out there that use it now. Um, interesting little fact that they originally, when they first started distilling in 2008, they were sourcing their blue corn from a local Hopi tribe, which I found uh, very fascinating. Um, but they have been doing it for a little over a decade now, and I am falling in love with every single bottle that I buy. I cannot say enough great things about them. And for all of you, and we talked about it last week, that are stuck on the age statement, get over it because yes, there, is nothing that, there is nothing that they make that is more than three years old. I mean, yep. honestly, and like I try to tell my customers, sometimes with youth comes vibrancy, taste yeah. it, taste it, and you will be yeah. thoroughly impressed. And yeah. I'm thoroughly impressed with every sip that I take. Fantastic. That stuff. blue corn is also, I'm right there with you, Matt. I am obsessed yeah. with it. I think I taste, what was that? Two, three, oh God, two years ago, I think was when I got those bottles and fell in love with Belcones and Oh my gosh, that it's very special. In specific, that blue corn is very, very special. You're you're absolutely right. And I, I adore that stuff. It's so delicious. Should definitely try it. Take our recommendation. Yes. I well, will. cheers once again, everybody. Um, I'm gonna play a little song and then we're gonna get into our discussion. Uh tonight it's all about early Metallica. We're talking first three released albums kill them all ride the lightning and master of puppets so here's song first and then we will get into it come on 
<laughs> okay. So I want to talk about an article before we get into the discussion. Okay. So I came across this article. A friend sent it to me uh, a couple years ago. Um, Neural Nostalgia. Why do we love the music we heard as teenagers by Mark Joseph Stern? You can find it on Slate. So reach, researchers have uncovered evidence that suggests our brains bind us to the music we heard as teenagers more tightly than anything we'll hear as adults, a connection that doesn't weaken as we age. Music nostalgia, in other words, isn't just a cultural phenomenon. It's a neuronic command. And no matter how sophisticated or uh, our taste may get, our brains may stay jammed on those songs we obsessed over during the high drama of adolescence. So I'm just taking a few excerpts out of this article. It's I highly recommend reading it. It's so fantastic and explains so much. If anybody reading this, especially if you're over 30, 35, you don't go, yes, this is me. Something's wrong with you. So when we hear... When we first hear a song, it stimulates our auditory cortex and we convert the rhythms, melodies, and harmonies into a coherent whole. From there, our reaction to music depends on how we interact with it. Sing along to a song in your head and you'll activate your premotor cortex, which helps plan and coordinate movements. Dance along and your neurons will synchronize with the beat of the music. Pay close attention to the lyrics and instrument and you'll activate your parietal cortex, which helps you shift and maintain attention to different stimuli. Listen to a song that triggers personal memories and your prefrontal cortex, which maintains information relevant to your personal life and relationships will spring into action. So brain imaging studies have shown that our favorite songs stimulate the brain's pleasure circuit, which releases an influx of dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, and other neuro neurochemicals that make us feel good. The more we like a song, the more we get treated to this neurochemical bliss, flooding our brains with some of the same neurotransmitters that cocaine chases after. <laughs> okay. Um, so... The reason I bring this up uh, tonight is nothing to do with cocaine, but it has everything to do with our opinions on music and especially music that um, we grew up with. So when I listened, okay, so when we decided we were going to do this, we, we, we all together went back and listened to the first time we tackled the subject of Metallica. And I, I was specifically listening to ask myself, do I disagree with what I was saying? Has my opinion changed for some reason? Would I still feel the same way and say the same things? And at first pass, I said, yes. I kept going, yes, exactly to myself. I know. But then I listened a second time and I was like, but why? Why? Why do I feel that way? Why do I feel so, why do I feel so strongly about classic Metallica versus new Metallica? And then I meet younger kids who are now in their 20s um, that also grew up with Metallica, but a different Metallica, and they feel so strongly about new Metallica. 
this article explains all of that, in my opinion. So there's, first of all, I mean, who who the fuck are we? Nobody. I'm no like professional music reviewer. I'm not a professional musician. Do I have the right to have an informed opinion about whether Lars is a great drummer or a shitty drummer? No, of course I don't. But that's not what the point of this podcast. We're just having fun here. Um, and all the flack I took about, you know, from my my opinions on Metallica comes from this emotional place. So early Metallica gives me all of those things that this article described. All of those good cocaine vibes, apparently. New Metallica does not do that for me. So, and there's a lot of reasons why. Number one, I had a very difficult childhood growing up. And I was one of those kids in the 80s that relied on heavy music to save me. And it's a real, real deal thing. And there was a study that came out, I don't know, a year or so ago. And uh, Dee Snyder and I had a conversation about it on Twitter about Generation X and the metalheads. And we are some of the most well-together people on the planet. The exact opposite of what we were told we were going to turn out like for listening to the devil's music. Um, because we were using a form of art to release our stress and our anxiety and our pain and our fear and all of the things that go with being a teenager, but perhaps you didn't have a great childhood either. And it was a healthy, now we know, constructive way to get out a lot of your angst, just like sports does. It was really either sports or music. You know, I mean, I think it's still that way. What's the best way to keep kids active and and get all the, you know, we call it all the energy and, you know, all of that out. And then when you're a teenager, the emotions and the hormones and the best way to deal with that is music or sports. And I was just, you know, I did both, but I music was it for me. So when I got to an age where, you know, I was, my life had changed and I was living on my own and I wasn't consumed with all the teenage angst and stress and trauma all the time. I didn't really need that as much anymore. And it just so happened to be the same time that Metallica's sound changed. <laughs> now, I've beat them up a lot for that change in sound, as we know on this podcast. I'm doing it very, very much in jest, but it also comes from a place of truth for me because who doesn't want some things to stay the same? Like, let's be real. Am I True. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Am I right? And Sally, I mean, you had a you you had a great quote from one of our first Metallica episodes, I and I wrote it down here because oh. I thought it was a great quote that pretty much sums up what you're saying right now. And you said, "I wouldn't hate them so much if I didn't love them so much." <laughs> It's true, right? It's true. What does it say yes. about hating your enemies? Yes. You can't hate unless a person that you know, unless you once liked them or cared for them, right? Why would you just hate someone you have known nothing about? I think it also has a lot to do with our personal experiences. So, you know, we didn't go deep into that the first time because that wasn't really what our point was, you know? Um so I get to have my opinions. I get to voice my opinions. It's my podcast and we're just having fun here. It's, we're not, you know, doing brain surgery, but I do want to reflect and I'm a human being. So 
naturally I grow and I change and hopefully I'm evolving every day, every week, every month, every year. We all are. And opinions can change as we learn more or we're exposed to different things. That's an important lesson since 2016 to right now for a lot of people. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to change your opinion. It's okay to say I was wrong or I was right then. I'm also going to be right now. A little bit has changed or I have a different view. That's totally okay. And I think we as a society need to get more comfortable with that. So am I going to change all of my opinions and everything I said? No. But I wanted to just give more important context to why I feel so strongly about this band and why their change affected me so. Now, one of the things that I did not talk about was the loss of Cliff. And I know, I think Jake, I think you brought it up too, Matt, like kind of defending them with Injustice for All. And we're going to save that for the next show. But I didn't really get into that. We're not going to get into that tonight. But I just wanted to talk about this a little bit because I thought the article was a fantastic explanation about the why we feel the way we do about music from our youth. And that's very connected to the subject tonight. Um, but let's see, you guys, if we feel any differently than we did previously when we talk about these three albums, which we'll call these the Cliff albums. Shall we? Okay. All Let's right, we're going to start with Cliff them all. Uh, sorry, kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. It's on my mind because I downloaded the movie. Um, we're going to talk about Kill Em All, uh, which was released on June 25th, 1983. We uh, discussed just, we, we kind of touched on it quickly last week and talked about all the other things that were released, movies and music and other albums. But, um, you know, let's. this is their debut studio album. And uh, 1983 is a really important year in music. Um, so this was released through Megaforce. And um, at the time, they're just doing club shows in L.A. They had not moved. Well, then they moved to San Francisco when they finally got Cliff to agree to join them. Um, it's a, This is a big, big, huge moment uh, in the life of this band. So um, I love that their signing bu budget was $15,000. <laughs> that wouldn't even get you an hour probably in a studio uh, right now or marketing nope, or anything. Not much. <laughs> um, so the album was recorded uh, with producer Paul Curcio. I don't know. Um, in Curcio. Rochester, New York. Curcio in Rochester, New York. And it was supposed to be uh, titled Metal Up Your Ass. We have discussed album art in the past and um, since, uh, you know, censorship and things like that. And as a matter of fact, quick side note, uh, you should go Google and look up the video of Dee Snyder um, making a statement about censorship in the 1980s in front of Congress. It is still applicable today, unfortunately. But um, the documentary about it is so fascinating. Uh, just remembering this mania of 
you know, censoring these albums. And then every kid, they're literally interviewing like, you know, musicians today and kids like, well, yeah, the minute I saw that it had parental advisory, I was like, I'm buying that. If it didn't have parental advisory, I was like, nobody wants that. So everybody gravitated towards the parental advisory. So it did the opposite assholes. Um, anyway, so they changed the name, uh, of course, because they couldn't put metal up your ass. Can you imagine these days? Uh, so they called it Kill 'Em All. Um, so let let's let's talk about our feelings about this album because we were very torn. And our task at the time, just to go back, was we had to put this up against. Um, it was Kill 'Em All up against Ride the Lightning. And we had very strong feelings about why we all pretty much agreed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. The floor is yours, guys. Well, I was new to this album um, not that many years ago, uh, coming into Metallica a little bit later than Sailor did. Um, I won't rehash that whole whole story but um (laughs) but suffice to say um so most of the a few of the songs on here i had heard in the past like the big ones probably you know uh whiplash seek and destroy four horsemen uh maybe motor breath but um possibly that's not like one i really remember seeing Mm -hmm. a lot in the or listening to a lot in the in the past but um uh, much at all, but um, interesting because yeah, I just got this album just a few years ago. I think it was probably when right before we uh, did our first Metallica episode, and I bought this album just so I could you know really spend some time with it. Um, but uh, the funny thing is about it, my favorite song on this album I had never heard before. I got the album and um, it's not one that I really hear mentioned or talked about or heard on the radio, but it's a song, no remorse for some reason, just that the guitar riff, the pound, that guitar, I just love, and I can really get into that. But um, yeah, I it's the album is very raw. Uh, which a- actually I think adds to its charm. Um, and it's as a de- debut album um, for, you know, the, even though it, it's not as polished as, as what would come, I'd say, you know, there's definitely uh, something that m- any metal band, it's an album that any metal band would be proud to put out as their first album for sure. Um so have my feelings changed towards it since our last episode? Maybe not too much. I do think that I have, of course, listened to it many more times since that, and I can appreciate it more now. And I think that even though I I um, appreciate it more, overall my feelings are still basically the same towards it. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say other than I, I mean I we're we're not talking about Ride the Lightning 
so I don't want to spend too much time comparing it to Ride the Lightning. But uh, it's 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 a great example of uh, a band that's off to a good start and uh, that will definitely have uh, better things to come. But um, yeah, I guess my feelings have changed a little bit. I do do enjoy the album more now than I they'd done just because of for the amount of times I've listened to it. But uh, I still kind of stand on this in relation to what will come. Okay. So one of the things that was said by Jake previously, and he's not here, of course, to, to talk about it, but was it, you know, it was really Ride the Lightning that set them apart from the rest of the thrash bands at the time. And mm-hmm. when, I, when I, I went back and thought about it and I listened to it and I'm like, I completely have to disagree. So for me, that has changed. I think Seek and Destroy and I and I I said multiple times I can't part with that song, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Still, ha- I'm I'm still struggling. I'm I'm I'm. It's interesting to hear you say that your cha- feelings have changed a little bit, Ed, because I kind of had a feeling that would happen as you familiarize yourself with the album more. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, what about you? My feelings about the album, um, have, the album itself haven't really changed. I still love it. I still think it's a shitload of fun to listen to. Um, it's important for the time and when it came out. Absolutely groundbreaking, as I think we all agree at the time it was groundbreaking. The thing that's changed for me is that in the past, I've always seen this as the first step in a progression towards something greater toward an apex is a word I used in one of our earlier episodes, but going back and listening to it again and again and again, um, as I have many times since the first time we talked about it, I always put and justice for all in its own little bubble. It's its own album between two different phases of this band and I kind of now put this album in its own little bubble as not being like the first step in a progression, but a completely separate sort of entity. And sound-wise, yes, I, th- I think that Mustaine's stamp is still very much all over this album. Oh, yeah. Uh, b- big time. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, which the, makes it great. Which and makes it great, point, exactly. Point, Matt, I yeah. think that's what makes it unique. I'm so glad mm-hmm. you just said Correct. that. If you don't Correct. mind yeah. interjecting in its own bubble. I think that was. I think that's what has been bothering me since we did two, three years ago, whatever the hell it was, three years ago. I think that's what's been bothering me that we put these two albums up against each other was wrong, and that's why I wanted to do it differently. I and why I kept saying I I gosh, I can't just, I can't part with this album. I can't part with this album. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's because this is a Mustaine album. Yeah. In a way. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's the uniqueness of it. Like, let's not talk about the production because product like that, that's just unfair to judge an album like that in so many ways, I think is because first of all, you're young, you're new, no one's spending a lot of money on you. And sometimes that's just literally what it's about is money. Right. Yeah. Um, or technology has changed, which happened to them. Both things happened to them, actually, right? 
so I, I'm, I'm just really happy you said that because I, I feel the same way. And the mistake all over this, I think this album should get to have its own shelf. Yeah. And weirdly, maybe it's not related, but I, it just made me think of this is that the last time we saw them live, which was, I think 20, it, it was recent. It was very recent. Um, that, that they, you know, p- performed a lot of the black album stuff and a lot of the hardwired, a lot of the new stuff that, you know, we're probably not going to talk as much about. Um, but, you know, even when they went to ride the lightning and master puppets, you know, the entire crowd was going nuts. And, you know, when they hit whiplash, which I went nuts for because they don't really play it that much anymore. Yeah. Um, I would lose my yeah, mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the younger people, and I'm talking when I say younger people, I mean, my age and younger, uh, they kind of didn't really know like they weren't going as crazy, but then all of a sudden you have these little pockets of, I'm, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but these guys who were, say kind of, they were, yeah. I mean, they had like the denim, denim vests with the patches all over and they had the ball, they're bald, but they have the rat tail in the back and they're like going completely ape shit. Over this. And I realized that these are the guys that felt that they sold out when they made fade to black. Like they, yep. like their allegiance ended after kill them all. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like that put it oh, in a bubble no, no. that put it in more of a bubble for me <laughs> when I saw that reaction to whiplash and seek and destroy. And um, I, I think they might've played the four horsemen too. Like oh, they were oh. only going oh. nuts for those songs, yes. nothing else in a three hour show. And that kind of put it in perspective for me too. So I still love the album, but it's impact on their career. And in, in that timeline is different for me. Okay. I love this. This is making me really happy. So this is what we're going to do with kill them all. Kill them all does not go up against anything. There's no up against anything with this album. Kill them all is its own unique entity in the history of this band, which is a huge qualifier in the history of American thrash metal period. I, I second that. I agree that the, the Mustaine angle, I don't know why we didn't really hone in, focus in on that before, but Wait, I know. Uh, you're exactly right. Cause that's, I think is what sets this album apart is the, the sound, the guitar sound is just so different. Um, and man, I, I, I meant to bring this up in the last episode and I, I forgot to say it, but 1983, that's probably the year I believe that I really started discovered hard rock and metal. Mm-hmm, same, and like, same. If only I had someone had played this album for me, then, you know, who knows sailor. I'd probably be right with you with everything else you've been saying. I didn't discover but, uh, this album until kill them all because I was a little, still a little too young in 83, but yeah. when kill them all, I mean, one year is, you know, when you're a kid, it's a big deal. And so I think it was at the end of the year of kill them all. And then someone said, uh, or sorry, the end of ride the lightning. And someone said, Oh, kill them all. And I listened. I was like, Whoa, what is this? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. 
But instead, I was listening to, and probably why this is some of my favorite music, like we were saying, um, Def Leppard's Pyromania album was new out that time. Um, so early Def Leppard is, yeah, that's some stuff that I can definitely get into. Uh, yeah. I love this. I'm so I'm so glad that we did this because these are the things that were bugging me. We did not, we absolutely did not give enough credit to Dave Mustaine's unique sound. Mm -hmm. I think it's because I'm going to speculate and speak for all of us and correct me if I'm wrong, please, that we just assume it's a known thing because it's now and it's not then right? That we all know Mustaine's sound so well. And we know that, you know, what his impact was on this album, but it was a, it, it was unfair to leave that out. And I think yeah. it was very, very unfair to put these two albums up against each other, even though this podcast was designed to battle albums against each other. And this was the whole discussion that started the podcast. It really, I want to end this by saying that's just not possible with this album. It's its own thing. Yeah. So it goes on this shelf. Awesome. Okay. Love it. Yeah, because that, that explains okay. a lot. Because to it. me, yeah, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets seem more like counterparts than either of those in this, for sure. I will somewhat agree, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna we're gonna end this part of the discussion by by talking just a, a, for a minute about seek and destroy. I want you to I'm gonna ask everybody to do just a little Google search on just put in seek and destroy, and I want you to put in deconstructed, and I want you to see what comes up. Some really smart people who have way more musical knowledge than I do. Um, and technical knowledge will tell you, and we all seem to agree that this song is really, really, really what was the catalyst for American thrash metal to move past just being an underground entity. There are plenty of genres that never really make it and break out. And this song is absolutely one of the catalysts for that. So I just want that song to have its rightful place in history. So, all right. I mean, there's a reason they close most of their shows with it. Yeah. I mean, thank honestly, you. no, it's true. I mean, <laughs> I know. Close with yes. Enter Salmon or anything like that, but they close with that song. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. So, next up, we're going to talk about Ride the Lightning. Um, first, we're going to listen to some music so I can take a few sips of my whiskey. All right, back to business. Let's talk about Ride the Lightning. Uh, this time we are not putting it up against Kill 'Em All. This was released in <laughs> July 27th of 1984, again on Megaforce Records. But this time, 
The album was recorded with the producer Fleming Rasmussen. So I think we should, I think we should talk a bit about this. this. I think this is also, there's only so much shit you can, you know, when you're going down a rabbit hole, it's, it's not easy to touch on everything, but I, I felt like we need to give a little bit more of our discussion to the producer. Of, and we've discussed this many times, the, the, how much producers can affect music. And we will definitely talk about that on Injustice for All. <laughs> Um, but let's talk a little bit about Mr. Fleming Rasmussen. Um, he is the <laughs> sound, sound engineer, record producer, and owner and founder of Sweet Silence Studios in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, he's still alive and doing it as far as I know and could research. Um, so what do you guys think about the change? Like how do I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that this was a major influence on what their sound, how their sound changed and what happened with this album? They're definitely getting away from Mustaine. I'm, you know, I, I pulled up the track listing here and interesting to note that Dave Mustaine has writing credits still on two of the songs on this album. Um, Ride the Lightning, which you just heard, and also uh, the Call of Cthulhu. Yep, yeah. you got it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they are definitely kind of become uh, definitely on their way to the becoming the Metallica that uh, we know now. Um, and gosh, I love this album. Um, there isn't. I don't think this is one of those albums where I wouldn't, I don't think I'd throw away any of the songs on this track list. Um, Sailor, did you, so was this the first album you, up there you said you were, you were introduced to yes, them through? This, okay. This is my introduction to Metallica. All right. um, and I believe it was late 84. Um, Cause I'm just going on my age and kind of the memory of it. This started everything for me, and um, it was because of, I've talked about this guy a million times. Mm -hmm. I really got to try to get him on the show one day. My best friend's older brother, she was lived two houses down from me, is responsible for all of my metal early knowledge and exposing me to all of this. So God bless Bernie. Uh, and I okay. just was hooked. Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, to Bernie. <laughs> He's literally why, we're, why we are sitting here right now. Um, Did you have a good weekend at his house? <laughs> oh. He's had lots of good weekends at his house. But that's another discussion. Um, I think he was my first kiss, too. Mm. I think so. Like my first real... Yeah, I think he was. Anyway. Um, <laughs> who cares? Um, Bernie. so yeah, <laughs> okay. so <laughs> I think, I think Fleming Rasmussen had a huge impact on their sound and, you know, in my opinion, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but well, I think they were, I think he was pushing them to be technically better, um, with the risk of 
taking away the thrashness of their sound, for lack of a better word. Um, but I think, I think it's what needed to happen at the time. Let's just say that, um, you know, although we had the change from, you know, now there's no mustaine sound left. Um, and it's Kirk. I, I mean, he's, they're, they're all phenomenal musicians, specifically fantastic writers. And to recognize, to, to really see that in this album, so they're so young i mean the talent that it takes first of all james hetfield is an incredible poet it took me years to understand the lyrics like i would read them to memorize them so i could sing along but i wasn't really i mean i was you know you're young like grasping what he was really talking about and his you know obsession with history and war and his just his poetry is pretty fucking incredible especially for such a young man at the time um and and just yeah i mean you know how tight they were as a band um and then there's cliff you know cliff has a huge impact on the music he actually has music theory training you know he's actually a trained musician um so and he's teaching them as they're going and he's a bit older than them and has more experience and you definitely definitely hear that now so i think um i think those are all the elements that make this album ride the lightning yeah i mean if you talking about producers though i think this is a band that has been influenced by every producer they've ever had you know whether good or bad you know, you know, I don't want to jump into the bad. future. But if you're yeah, well, influenced well, by every fucking producer you work with, that's well, bad. Here's the difference, though. Here is the difference. You, if you equate it to a chef, you know, and you have, you know, Fleming who has all these ingredients that he can see the picture in his mind, uh, but he hasn't started making it yet. But he has all of these pieces to work with and he can kind of take all the best parts of this and make something special out of it. Whereas later on you have the finished product and someone comes and asks you to reinvent it or try to use what's done already to, to make something new. That's the difference. So I think it's not taking anything away from the later producers, but I think that they were already working with something that had already peaked with a finished product already Yeah, yeah. that they were trying to, Put their own sound to. Yes. Yes. And I think Fleming at the right time with his expertise and the work he had done already uh, came in and the ingredients were starting to come together and he just had to turn the flame on the stove. You know, that was it. And uh, he, and that's, that's what it is right there. Uh, And this album, it's my first Metallica album. And I think I may have told the story. Um, I recognized the album cover. I was at a garage sale. I had $2 to spend. My dad gave me two bucks. You know, I was probably bad that day. I did something wrong. He only gave me $2 to spend. He's like, you know, you can buy something. Just here's two bucks. And I recognized the album cover in this just tray of cassettes that these people were selling because my brother, my oldest brother had the t-shirt, the ride the lightning t-shirt, which he had cut the sleeves out of. Um, you know, like it was a thing, I guess. Um, yes, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I recognized the cover. So it was a dollar. They were selling these cassettes for a dollar. So I, I bought it. Um, and I went home and I had this really old freaking, it wasn't even like a boom box. Like, I don't even know what you would call it, but it was just, I put the tape in, I press play. And that first melodic, you know, intro comes on to fight fire with fire. And I'm like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, it's just a roller coaster. And it uh, completely changed my view of music forever. So uh, my feelings about this album have not changed whatsoever. This so, is the first masterpiece. Yes. I, I, I also just real quick want to just talk about. So the, there was a lot of controversy with this album as well with the mixing and mastering. And so it's interesting how, I think the band, I don't want to give too much. I mean, I want to give Fleming his due creds because he, he definitely deserves them. But I also want to give the band credit that they were not happy with the plan for their mixing and mastering. And they stood up for themselves and said, yeah, no, that's not going to work out for us. And actually um, turned down a studio or record, you know, a label offer. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening right now. The band's coming into its own. They're recognizing, you know, their, their own success and their own vision. Um, I, I wonder what it, I wonder what would have happened if they would have stuck with Fleming for all of their albums. Man. Hmm. Might have had a little more bass in Injustice for All. He had small hands. <laughs> he had small hands in that, but it was mostly produced by Metallica. very small hands. Very small hands, yeah, like <laughs> T Rex hands. <laughs> but he's on the yeah, album I credits. Think, uh, James and Lars had the bigger hands, of course. Yeah. Um. All right, Ed. What about you? Oh, my views on this album have not changed at all i still think it's a it's a masterpiece um fade to black um was their real this is their real first sort of ballady um song and it's just i think it's just a beautiful a beautiful piece um it's like the uh Yes, this is this is like foreshadowing the song one. Um, I think uh, it's that same type of writing, um, and I, I just love it. Is and uh, creeping death. This is another one of my favorite songs on this album. Creeping death, um, ride the lightning. I I could just I could listen to the song all day. Um, I still think it's a great one of my favorite um, early Metallica albums. Um, yeah, really not much else to say that I haven't said before. Well, I think that, um, we're, yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot has changed, you know, with our um, reaction to this album and our opinion on this album. 
we chose this album in the battle because we, I mean, I think we weren't really looking at it just as we've discussed in the way we should have been. Um, and I don't think, again, I don't think this album goes up against any other album. I don't think you can put this album up against Master of the Puppet, Master of Puppets. I don't think it's, I think they're two completely and totally different. <laughs> what was it? That, Master of Puppets? Is that what I, what was the original joke? Puppets. Yeah. Puppets. Yes. Puplets. It came from my uh, mispronunciation. <laughs> um, so I kind of feel like this album belongs on its own shelf as well. Hmm. Hmm. I really don't feel like you can put this against Master of Puppets. I just don't. I mean, you can, but. Yeah. I mean, the albums are laid out almost exactly the same. I don't. I don't know. All right. You couldn't put Fade to Black against Sanitarium. You couldn't no! put Fight Fire with Fire against Battery. No, hell no. No. No way. You can't no. put Cthulhu against Orion. No. 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 Okay. No. Or the thing um, that should not be. To battle like, them against each other and then you lose Ride the Lightning. Is that really what you want? No, you don't. You don't lose anything. I could, I could. I could battle track for track with those two albums. No, nope. No, all right. No, nope. well, I mean that's that's my opinion. If you guys are going to overrule me, you have to be a majority. We all get gold stars. <laughs> 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 all right, let's. Uh, all right, I need a minute. Let's listen to some music, and then we're going to talk about. Master of not puppets, but puppets. <laughs> master of the master of the puppets, the, or the puppets. That's why I thought about it. I was like, was well, I like, the one that fucked it up last time? Like something, my, like something my mom would say. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to Shut your up. old master of the puppets. Shut up. Search for it on the Google. What is it, Jim Henson? <laughs> All right. Good stuff. All right. It's time for Master of Puppets. Oh, God. It's never going to get old. Nope. Even though I forgot about it for a minute. Okay. This album was released on March 3rd of 1986. And now they're with Elektra Records. Again, recorded with producer Fleming Rasmussen. Um... Yeah, man, this album. Oof. I think I've said this. I think I said this in our first series that this is the ultimate Metallica album for me. To me, this was their peak. This was their everything. This is all of it. Everything. This encompasses 80s thrash. 
this is if you have to tell an alien what American thrash metal is, this is the album you put in the thing that gets sucked up into the alien ship right here. (laughs) This is the dictionary definition of the best heavy metal album ever period in my opinion. Um, All right. So they're pretty fucking big at this point in their career, right? They're supporting Ozzy Osbourne, who was huge at the time. Um, they're they're on the Billboard now, which was unfreaking believable back then. And uh, this album was the first metal recording to be selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Like I said, this is the album. Um, All right. So I just feel like this album, I'm going to say it again. Like you can't put this album. I mean, I understand what you guys are saying about putting this, you know, song for song, but they are in their sweet spot. They are, they have matured. They're in the place. They're in the groove. They've got it. They've figured it out. They're it. It's everything. How can you absolutely compare this to any other Metallica album? I don't understand. Well, for me, my opinion on this album, I think has changed. Oh, I am starting to come around a little more to your way of thinking. Um, <laughs> After revisiting this, I think I I don't think I gave this album its due as much as I should have. Well, I shouldn't say should have because that was my feelings at the time. And my feelings at the time were valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but my feelings have changed over the couple of years since then. And um, I agree. I think that from a more objective taking kind of my what we were talking about earlier our personal experiences with albums and feelings about with, towards albums trying to remo- remove that as much as i can and be more objective i do think that this probably would fit as their their peak in that era um as well so yeah I th- I'm I'm more in agreement with you now, definitely than I was back then. Can you imagine if it would have worked out that Getty Lee would have produced this album? Oh my god, that's hard to imagine. Not back then. Hard to imagine. Not back then. I mean, now it is, but not back yeah. then. In my, in my brain, it's hard to imagine what it would sound like, how it would be different if Getty Lee had produced it. Oh, I think it would have been very different. I think that, um, I don't know. I always romanticize this shit and I'm speculating because what the fuck do I know? But I can imagine Getty Lee and Cliff like totally music nerding out together. Oh, God. You're right? totally, oh, yeah. totally would have. Holy crap. I think it would have been, I think it would have been really fucking cool. It would have been amazing, mean, I'm so, sure. Uh, so. Uh, just for context, they're in their power windows, period. Rush is at the time. Um, 
so they are heavily into their progressive rock sound, which could have been really freaking cool. I mean, gosh, how do you as Metallica not go back to Getty Lee at some point and be like, hey, remember when you were going to produce our album, but it was literally just tour schedules that didn't make it work? Let's let's do that now anyway. Hmm. Well, it would be so cool. I don't know. I think that would have been amazing. It would be an interesting experiment, that's for sure. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Matt? There's not much more I can add to what I've said about this album. Um, it, it breaks the bubble of just being a metal and thrash album. It is, to me, one of the greatest albums, period. The end. I'm sorry. I mean, you people can have your Born in the USA, you know. <laughs> Master of Puppets is one of the best albums ever, period. Um, it's a game changer of all game changers. Uh, one thing I will add, um, and I didn't think I could draw anything else from this album after listening to it ad nauseum over, um, you know, what it'll be 25 years or so since I first heard this album. Um, this is the first time that James lyrically leaves things open to interpretation for his listeners. Um, Good point. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, master puppets, is it about drugs? Is it about something that controls you? Is it about whatever demon you're facing? It doesn't have to be overtly what you think it is. It can be anything. And I think it plays to a lot of different uh, aspects. The thing that should not be, what is it? it is it um, an ominous creature coming from the depths of the ocean? Or is it something that you're pushing down emotionally, psychologically that you want to go away from, you know, sanitarium, um, you know, it leaves it to the imagination of the listener. And I think that's the first time that he is, he really punched through that wall, uh, which he does so very well. Uh, even now for all of the detractors out there of their new stuff, he still kind of does that very well. Um, but this, is the first, this is the first time that he did that. Uh, and that speaks a lot to him as a songwriter. And I think that's the only thing I gleaned really from the last, you know, three years since the first time we recorded this. And I don't think we, anybody mentioned it the first time is that with kill them all ride the lightning, it was a little bit more overt um, mm -hmm. as to the subject matter. There's still some of that on here, but I think there's some just that next level down of depth um, for the listener too. Yeah, atmospheric is yeah. a great word. Yes, He's maturing as a writer, yeah, maturing yeah. as a writer, as a singer, as a musician, as a human. But I think they they that's why I'm saying they found that place that at, he could still voice what he was trying to voice, but in an atmospheric way. Yes. I mean, in reviews, the words precisely executed songs were used. That's it. I mean, if I'm him, I'm like, okay, that's all I've ever needed to hear. <laughs> precisely <laughs> executed songs. There's, um, so the BBC uh, music writer Eamon Stack said, quote, at this stage of their careers, Metallica weren't even doing songs. They were telling stories. 
The compositions and arrangements benefited from Burton's classical training and understanding of harmony. I think that's what what James needed was the the musicality to kind of so it pushed the music to a to another level, but also gave him a sweeter spot to write into. I think lyrically. So I totally agree with you, Matt. Yep. So I think this album deserves its own place because, I mean, it literally has its own place. It is its own place. Well, I mean, when you're at the top, you're only looking down on everybody else. So, I mean, this album was the apex, which I feel it is the apex of what they did. I agree. Um, Over 40 years or almost 40 years now, I guess, of music. Um, Goddamn. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I could say. You're looking down on everything else. Yes. This is this is the apex. Um they're exactly where I don't even think they're in a place where they ever imagined they could be. I don't think this is anything they could have ever fathomed as musicians, as young kids, as metalheads and thrashers and rockers. Um, and then now as even well formed artists, I still think this was mind blowing for them and they didn't expect to be in this place. And that's where we're going to leave them for now, actually. So um, I'm going to play you guys another track while we take another sip of whiskey. And then we're going to talk about what to expect on our next episode, continuing our Metallica them all series. Is there any better beginning to a song than this one? Like, literally. All right, so I'm really glad once again that we went back to this. I'm really happy with our look back. I'm happy that we got to do this without the, um, sorry, pressure of the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, that we've a- we've been able to kind of look into these albums as their own unique entities. That makes me really happy and feel better about like a clean like end point to what we did years ago. So um, yeah, next up, what are we doing next up? We're doing injustice for all. Yes. No, we're doing nope. Cliff. Ne- Cliff yeah. We are focusing on Cliff Burton and the Cliff them all documentary. Is okay. that, is it called a documentary? Is that what it is, is basically? I it is. Yeah. I, I believe so. A documentary. <laughs> It depends on how you put the emphasis on the syllable. I know. Tomato, tomato. Oh, damn. What a jerk. (laughs) Um, I love my Midwestern brother. It could also be be called a compilation as well. Um, But I think it's fair to call it a documentary or documentary. Either way. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, all right. So that's what you can expect next time is we're going to do deep dive into Cliff's life um, and the amazing documentary compilation, whatever, of footage of Cliff. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time. I can't wait to watch it again. I'm super excited. And uh, that's it for tonight. All right. Thank you, listeners, for listening and watching. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey and on Twitter at Metal R- Whiskey at Metal Whiskey. Sorry, at Metal Whiskey on Twitter. <laughs> at uh, what? 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 At Metal Whiskey. That is without the rock on Twitter. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. <laughs> follow and subscribe please to our youtube channel if you're watching us now there is no reason why you shouldn't have clicked on that bell that's in the bottom corner somewhere down here uh, click on that click on that bell to subscribe and you will get every single notification every time we upload a new video or any new content yes and you can find of course the three of us on social media you can find me on instagram at the whiskey obsessor that is whiskey save the e Sailor. I am Sailor Retro on most of the internets. That would be Twitter and the Grams. And you can find me as Sailor Guevara on a Facebook. Feel Ed. free to plug your cocktail site too. Oh yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ed. <laughs> so I've got um a new website called uh sailorguevara.com or sailorguevaracocktails.com and uh i'm doing virtual cocktail and a flight spirits flight experiences it's been super fun i do them to support local bars and restaurants um in the area and i will be expanding that nationally very soon um so yeah you get fun fun kit in the mail and you get to hang out with me and a bunch of other people virtually and we sip on stuff and talk about the history of it. And we listen to some live musicians. And let me tell you, live local musicians need the love desperately. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have been amazing about tipping them, which makes me so happy. Um, and I've partnered with an awesome, amazing um, like little gourmet deli that does individual charcuterie boards to go along. I mean, let me tell you, we nerded out together so hard. Um, so Ricky is a proprietor and I was like, okay, well, here's the taste profiles for the first one we ever did, you know, of the, of the whiskeys I'm going to be pouring. And I'd like to match cheeses with it. And all I had to do is give him the flavor and he kept going, Ooh, Ooh. Oh. And I saw him like writing stuff down. I was like, that's exactly the type of cheese I would match with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, excited. so we're, we're having a lot of fun. So yeah, just uh, check out sailorguevara.com. Thanks. Thanks awesome. Okay. You're welcome. Go check it out everyone. And uh, if you happen to want to, see what i'm doing you can you can look at urban <laughs> geek on instagram it's not nearly as cool as what sailor's doing but you know it's there yeah. oh and i should say that uh please check us out on facebook as well um the the facebook group is now metal rock whiskey yep. uh so please Revive. ask to join yes we it is live and breathing very well right now so yeah uh please ask to join yes And so, listeners, if you love us, 
or even if you just like us, please, we ask you again, hit that subscribe button. Give us a review. It really does matter to us. And of course, tune in in a couple of weeks, probably for the next episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey, where we will be back to revisit this subject and talk about Cliff. And if you hate us, then I really want to hear it. <laughs> We haven't gotten hate mail in a long time, friends. Yeah. Send it over and I will respond to you personally, not a bot, just me. And I'll say, you know what? That's fine. Your opinion matters. Or maybe I'll say F you like every outro since day one of this podcast. Someone always get fucked off. Who's it going to be tonight? <laughs> Let's see. Hmm. How about fuck you people who take bass out of every fucking album? Aha. <laughs> Later, everyone. <laughs> oh, bye. Adios. Bye.